Just kidding. If you have your Bibles, open it to Philippians chapter 1. And before we go any further, let, let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus, and we thank you for this evening and pray, God, that it would be helpful in our lives, that it would be an opportunity for you to, to work and to speak to us, that you would give us understanding of the things that we read, you'd give me clarity in the things that I speak. Lord, we do pray for Tony, who's on the freeway right now, and who's Lord, I know just feeling terrible that he left early and he's still late and it was his first time here. And I pray that you would ease his heart and mind, that you'd bring him peace, Father, and that he would uh, feel welcome when he comes here, Lord. And again, we would have time to honor you with singing and just our voices as well as, Father, uh, this time may we honor you with our, our time and our thoughts. Lord, might we give you our attention and allow you room to work within our lives. We do praise you and thank you for your goodness. And we do ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to finish chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. Last week we went from verses 1 through 12, or 1 through 11, and we saw that Paul was very open to these people. He had such endearing words for them. He considered them very close to his heart. They were people who had helped him and his condition, we saw in verse 7 that his condition, which we're going to really focus on tonight, is that he's in jail. And we talked about how strange it was that he could talk so lovingly and, and so hopefully in spite of this condition. And we're going to look at that a little bit more tonight. I mean, he talked in verse 6, a verse that is pretty popular, how he's confident in this very thing that he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We, we saw that he was his prayer that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. And how really what God wants to do is connect these people with what they love to the truth of what it is that they love. I've shared before how we can know the right thing, but if we love the wrong thing, we will make the wrong decisions that our passion drives us even when we know what is right and wrong so many times we give in to what we really want and how important it is to really want and love the right things and that's why Jesus said love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and soul and strength if we love then we will follow and so Paul is setting that foundation that their love would abound more and more in this insight, in this depth of truth, that they would actually be able to discern what is best. We talked about how we can actually know what is best when we are following the truth. And otherwise, we are given to our emotions, which can be very uh, topsy-turvy. Well, he's going to continue on now in verse 12 and explain his condition. And he says in verse 12, Now, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my change, chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, 
What an amazing thing. He tells us his condition. He's in prison. And one of the things that we talked about last week and we're going to see real clear this week is our perspective plays such an important role in how we move forward in our lives. You know, recently we took a, a trip to New York City, a family, and we, we caught a red-eye flight to, you know, save money. And it left at LAX at 11.30, and it was this airline called Spirit Airlines. They're very new, and everything costs money to keep the flight itself cheap. If you want to check in your bags, 25 bucks, you couldn't even get a cup of water on the flight. Okay, I think that's illegal. They got to give you water, don't they? I mean, and so you're flying and you say, can I have a cup of water? Oh, I'm sorry, we, we can't give out water, but we can sell you a bottle, you know, for five bucks or something like that. And, and so they did everything they could to keep the cost low, but they hit you everywhere else. And, and so we are flying on this red eye to New York City, left LAX, and we were actually going to go to Florida. And even though it was late at night, and even though I was tired because I hadn't slept because a lot of things were going on, I just can't sleep in planes. You know, the seats aren't comfortable. They're just barely wide enough to, to be there and not totally be rubbing up against someone else. And they got that little button and you can lean it back, but it only goes back like an inch or two. You know, it's like, okay, that's it. I was hoping for more, but that's all it, it, it goes. You know, and you can't really get comfortable in that thing. And, and I can't sleep anyway because I was thinking about so many things, excited about going to New York for the first time. And so there I sat in the flight and I had the window seat and I was listening to my music, had my earplugs or earphones in. And I was looking out the window just into the dark, you know, just making time. And it was probably about 4.30 in the morning, something like that. And as I'm looking out just into the dark, I saw something that just caught my attention. I didn't know what it was. It was just like this explosion behind some mountains, but we're at 30,000 feet, so there really shouldn't be any mountains, at least I'm hoping not, you know? And I thought, oh, maybe I'm, I'm seeing things, I'm just tired, maybe there was a flash in the cabin and I just saw something, but it was pretty weird. And I was just looking out and then I saw it again, and then again, and it just kind of kept happening, and I was like, what the heck is that? Because it looked like explosions behind mountains. And then I realized one took place and it just lit up this whole area. It was a lightning storm, but I was watching it from above the clouds. And so there was no bolts going down, no jagged, you know, things touching the ground. It looked like this fire that was spreading throughout the cloud. And it was just huge and it was amazing. And it was terrifying because it was huge. I mean, I just see the whole sky go ooh, light up. It looked like an atomic explosion, you know. Maybe the Holocaust took place down below and we're safe in the airplane. <laughs> supposed to happen in, you know, 2012, but we're early. I don't know. And, and so I was just thinking about, wow, it looks so different from up here. And I was thinking about, you know, having the right perspective Mindful of the things in heaven can totally affect how we live down here on earth. But we are so focused just on the things that we see that so many times spiritual things really don't have the grip of our lives that maybe they should. Turn to the left and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, 
We do not lose heart. And again, he's talking about dealing with difficult situations, much like he was enduring in the book of Philippians here, where he was in prison. He says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary trouble are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, when Paul talks about light and momentary troubles, he's not talking about the things we consider light and momentary troubles. Today, I experienced a light and momentary trouble. My daughter's dog ran away. And so we had to go make flyers and look for the dog for a few hours. It was a light and momentary trouble. And I don't know if it was worse that we found the dog. The troubles will continue, but we did. It ended well. But, you know, for us, oh, no, that's a, a light and temporary trouble or maybe a, a problem at work or being laid off. I mean, all these things are, are troubles. But when Paul's talking about these light and momentary troubles, he's talking about being beaten and imprisoned for his faith in Jesus. He's talking about being shipwrecked and being lost out sea for days. Okay, his light and momentary troubles to us would be pretty big. But again, it's all the perspective here. He goes on in verse 18, and he says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How do you fix your eyes on what you can't see? It's having a spiritual insight. It's seeing things from heaven's perspective and recognizing that there's something eternal taking place within each of our lives, but we are so focused on the temporary that that is what occupies our lives. And so where we see the jagged bolts of lightning coming and striking, we're thinking, oh, no, no, God sees a totally different picture. And Paul is aware of this perspective. He is aware of this picture, and he wants us to be aware of it, and he wants those in Philippians, going back to Philippians, to be aware of it as well. He, he tells them, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And he also says in verse 12 that it's advancing the gospel. It's moving this good news about who Jesus is forward, the fact that he is in prison, and they are encouraged and are being more courageous and fearless. Now, let me ask you, if you see someone who's in trouble, a friend of yours, someone who you're close to, and they're going through hard times, are you encouraged or discouraged? Discouraged? You can speak out, really. You can say, you can tell, I mean, you kind of already know what Paul says here, but what do we usually feel? You're discouraged, aren't you? You fear for them. Your heart is gripped with worry. Because, oh no, what they're going through, I, I wonder if it's going to be okay, and, and your heart breaks. But Paul tells them, or tells us here, that because of this, that they're actually, they've been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Why would someone be encouraged by this? Why do you think they were encouraged because Paul was in prison? Any ideas? Does that seem strange to you that they'd be encouraged while he's in prison? Mm -hmm. It struck me. And so I like to ask, well, why would that be? 
Because a lot of times we just read the Bible and go, huh, I don't know. And you keep reading it, you know, because I don't know. And just figure it's got to be there because it's the Bible, you know. Don't ask questions. But it's there for a reason. And Paul is telling them that because, I mean, he, he says that he's shared with those who are in the palace, that the guards and everyone knows that he's there because of Christ, he would share his faith with those who were watching over him, the Roman guards, came to faith. He talks about that in the book of Romans, how many in the household of Caesar say hello. And these guys, Paul was just kind of wearing them down. You know, it's kind of like, oh man, I've been watching this guy for 12 hours. It's your turn to be chained to him. Man, the guy doesn't stop. He's singing and all this stuff. Man, I just got... And he was actually wearing them down to the knowledge of who Jesus was. And I think what's happening here is they were being encouraged because of what was happening through Paul. Seeing him in this condition being an example. You see, we're always encouraged when we see someone living a life that we know or desire to live. When you see someone doing something exceptional, you know, recently there was a, a soldier that was decorated for going in and saving some of his troops and going into the battle and shooting and firing and coming out and he's one of the few that made it with this honor alive. And you see something like that and you just go, oh man, what a guy to also, do that. He also said he wasn't a hero either. Yeah. He, he's like, oh, I you're humbled by those kinds of things. You see that and you're just like, man, that guy, you know, and you, something in you says, I'd like to be like that kind of guy. And you see, the word courage or encouragement has an interesting background. It's the same with the word spirit. In, in the Hebrew, it's pneuma. In the Greek, it's ruach. And the idea of spirit is also the idea of wind. It's the idea of the breath of God, the wind of God, or the courage of God. And, and there's a lot of things that we, we associate with being encouraged. Like if someone is deflated, what does it mean? It means they're discouraged. What happens? The wind is out of them. Or, or that one, I've had the wind knocked out of me. And if you're not talking about physically being punched, you know, you were doing something, you were excited, and then all of a sudden you lost that excitement. You, you lost that encouragement, you know, and, and what happens to us when we see someone who is doing the right things, we are filled with courage. It, it's like the Spirit of God comes within us when we see Paul doing these things, living this life, and we're encouraged to see someone living this way, living that life. It inspires us, and that word inspires means that you're breathed into that which we get our word encouragement from. Or the word inspired means to breathe into. You see, they were inspired because they saw Paul living this life. And they thought, if he can live that life, so can I. If he's willing to continue talking to them, in fact, the whole guard knows that he's there because of his faith in Jesus, then I can talk about it outside of prison as well. I remember when I first came to faith in Christ and I started hearing the stories about Paul, especially through the book of Acts, and I thought, oh my goodness, this man is incredible. And then hearing the scriptures talk about these people, even in the Old Testament, that they were men of like passions, like we are. 
and to realize that what God did in them, God can do in me. In fact, God wants to do in me. And so we have this encouragement from this person who's living his faith out, but we see the encouragement when he's living it out in the place of difficulty. And so we have a different perspective. We see encouraging things happen in a discouraging environment. But they're able to see something good is happening. Even while he is in prison, even while he is in this condition, they were encouraged because of what he was doing. And we don't get this idea from Paul of, man, it sure is rough in here. Why did God leave me here? I was serving God in everything, and then I got taken into jail. God doesn't love me anymore. Remember John the Baptist. He was imprisoned by Herod, and he was about to be beheaded. And he sent his disciples to Jesus. And they had a question, are you the one or is there another? And Jesus went on and quoted from Isaiah, says, tell John this, that the blind see, that the lame walk, that the poor have the good news preached to them. And then he went on and he said, and blessed are those who are not offended in me. The first part of what Jesus told John was quotations from Isaiah of what the Messiah was supposed to do, basically saying, I, I, I am the one you're talking about. I am the Messiah. But the last portion, blessed are those who are not offended me, was directly towards John. John, even if I don't get you out of your condition, blessed are you if you're not offended in me. In other words, God doesn't always work the way we want him to. Sometimes we're left in prison. Sometimes he doesn't heal us of cancer. Sometimes we lose our job or the person we love. Does it mean God doesn't love us? Do we get discouraged? Or can we use it as an opportunity to encourage others? And to encourage them, we have to have the right perspective, an eternal perspective, that the things that are important aren't the things that we see, aren't the temporary things. And to have that perspective is so important and necessary for us to, to maintain and to recognize. And that's why Paul could encourage them. In verse 15, he goes on and he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. You read that, and again, that's one of those things you got to go, What? Really? How can that be? How, how can that be the case that they would preach the gospel out of envy and rivalry? but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The, most, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Once again, we see perspective. Now. What a shame this is, that people would actually promote Christ just to do harm to Paul. But 
We know that's the case today. We know that there are people who have verbal faith in Jesus who have no problem belittling other people, other Christians. In fact, that's probably where the most discouragement comes many times. I, I, I have not been ridiculed by people who aren't a part of the Christian family, but I have by those who are. What's with that? It's family. You just got to live with them, you know? That's how it is. But Paul isn't discouraged by that. Again, he has a perspective, and he doesn't lose his joy. It doesn't take away from what he wants to do. In John's Gospel, John chapter 16, verses 19 through 22, Jesus was about to, to be taken away from them. And they were wondering, you know, he's saying a little while I'm going to be here, but they didn't understand what it meant. In verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? Well, yeah, they did want to know, but they were afraid to ask. And so he goes on and he says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because of her time, because of her time, because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Mm. Now, what did he mean by you will see me no more, but then you will see me again? What do you think he's talking about? Coming back again. Exactly. He rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. He's not talking about when he returns again the second time. He's talking about they're going to grieve because they're going to see him crucified. And then he says, but then you will see me again and you will rejoice. And guess what? No one can take that joy away. Why? Because now I understand that you are bigger than life itself. I have hope in you. And you see, Paul could go through the sufferings and even the ridicule that fellow brothers put upon him because he had a joy that could not be taken away. He had a faith in Christ. And that's why he said, it doesn't matter if they're preaching the gospel to bring harm to me or not. At least they're preaching Christ. Because that's what matters. That's what our hope is in. That's what we want to have hope in. And again, we see his perspective is one that is able to push him through even this uncomfortable situation. I, I'm encouraged by that. I'm also convicted because that's not usually my attitude. Truthfully, if I'm honest with you, when I get ridiculed or people do things that I feel are harmful to me, my attitude is, I'll get you back. <laughs> I'll find a way. I, I, I want vengeance. I, but vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I battle with that. I do. I struggle and think, oh, man, that's just not right. It's not fair. I can't let them get away and say things like that. That's a lie. I, I, I want to justify myself. And we don't see that in Paul. 
All he wants is to advance the gospel. There's something important that needs to move forward. And it's not Paul. It's this message of who Jesus is. That Jesus is alive. He wants to see that message move forward. And he goes on in verse 19. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly accept and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul continues to rejoice knowing that there is something taking place. And he says he expects and hopes that he will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ may be exalted in him, in his body. May not be ashamed. The idea of being ashamed is not like embarrassed. Oh, no, I'm ashamed. The idea of being ashamed is being discredited. And he's, he's sure that he will not be discredited for this belief. There's a psalm that I love. Um, if I can remember it. I think it's Psalm 25. I'm supposed to write it down. Yeah, Psalm 25. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame. In other words, do not let me be discredited. Nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. If I live my life in honor of God, I will not be discredited. I will not be put to shame. There was a, a young man I was talking to a couple of years ago who was going through a very difficult situation. He was married, but he had reason to believe that his wife might be cheating on him. There were some phone text messages that he had gotten that caused him to, to go here in his mind and his thinking. And it was one of those things where she said, oh, no, you're being silly. No, stop it. You know, what are you doing? Why are you, you making this? But he had this haunting and hurtful feeling within him that I, I think she's being unfaithful and their circumstances being apart caused him to, to feel this way more. And he asked me just about this and, and how he was feeling and how he should act. And, you know, with the circumstances the way they were, you know, part of him wanted to you know, just lash out and say, okay, if I can't trust you, this is through, we're over. And I, I told him, you know, if you do what is right, you have no reason to be ashamed. You have no reason to be discredited. You can live your life even if you find out that she was unfaithful to you. 
it does not reflect bad on you. It only reflects bad on her because you conducted yourself the right way. And to have an understanding of our lives that if I can live my life in faith and trust and doing the right thing, that whatever happens, I will not be discredited. My life will not be of no value. I, I can have confidence in this. And he says even further, but we'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ may be exalted in my body. Now, courage is an interesting thing. We, we see earlier he tells them that they can courageously and fearlessly are, are moving forward because of condition. And he's saying that I, I might be able to have sufficient courage being in prison and knowing that I may die. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. When a, a person is afraid, the emotion that they feel is, of course, fear. But you see, when a person is being courageous, the emotion that they usually fear or feel is fear. It's kind of a jip. You, you know, you think, I feel courageous, but that's not what you feel. You still feel fearful. When the firemen are running into the building that everyone else is running out of and are being courageous, they're not fearless. What they are is selfless. And so being courageous is not the absence of fear, but it's the absence of self. And Paul is saying that I might have courage. In other words, that I might be selfless so that now and always Christ may be exalted in my body. That I might not be so worried the fact that they're going to kill me. Oh my gosh, I might die. I'm not going to think about myself. I'm going to move forward so that my faith will not be discredited. I won't be ashamed. That I might move forward in courage. And what an amazing thing. Whether I live or I die, that Christ would be exalted in my body. In fact, he goes on and he says a verse that is pretty well known. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The idea of to live, it means for to me, my life is Christ. And the idea of to me, it's not like, well, I think, I, this is how I believe. It is the commitment of my life is Christ, selfless, but serving Jesus. And you see, the way Paul could be this example, how he could rejoice in these kinds of circumstances, how he could say for me to live as Christ and die as gain, is because he did not consider himself. In fact, throughout the scriptures, Paul says that. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
First Corinthians, he says, no longer are you your own. You've been bought with the price. You don't belong to yourself. Colossians 3 says, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. There is this absence of self and this life that is given over to God. And it's a, an amazing thing to see. And you understand that for us to live a life that is devoted to Christ, we, we don't live in circumstances where persecution takes place like it did for Jesus, but we do live in a time where greed is paramount, where self-satisfaction is kind of the God that everyone worships, and the idea of materialism and moving on to get all that we can seems to be paramount in our minds. To, to get past that, there has to be a change of thought. And sometimes it can be a frightening thing. Well, if I'm going to live for God, he's going to make me sell my house and, and my car and move to Nigeria or, you know, somewhere where they don't have air conditioning or, or you know, uh, we're going to be afraid of these kinds of things. What about my comfort? Is God going to make me, you know, do these things? And, and we are so afraid of losing the things that we have, whether it be the comforts or the status that play such an important part in our thinking, those temporary things that we are afraid to let go and give to God. And you see, what needs to happen so that we would be willing to die it would be better if we just died already. Take Paul's words, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. You see, that there has to be that death that takes place to ourself. Where he would say, you're no longer your own. You've, you've been bought with a price. Jesus gave his life for you. And if you'll yield your life to him, you no longer belong to yourself. You're, you're his servant. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, that's a terrifying thought. What about my identity? What about me? But you see, to truly be you, the you who God has created to be, you have to give your life to him. He is the author of life. And to be what you were truly made to be, you have to first surrender who you are to him so that he can make you what you are supposed to be. And for me to live is Christ. What is life to you? And I don't care how lofty your goals are. How much you think, man, this is what life means to me. I doubt it compares to the idea of your life is that of the Messiah. It's Christ. The smallest thing about life to me is Jesus himself. And if I die, it's better. In other words, I start off with Jesus and I just get more. Wow. What a mindset. What a way to think. How, how amazing is that? My wife and I have these conversations. You know, this isn't some kind of self, 
you know, esteem program. This is how you feel better about yourself. If anything, it can be a little discouraging. You need to die. I feel better already. You know, it, it's kind of one of those things where it's challenging. And oftentimes I talk about this idea of God wants your life to be something that is amazing, that he has created everybody here for amazing things. And my wife will often challenge me with those questions. As I've told you before, she asks the questions that are hard that because she knows me. And she goes, oh, yeah, okay, then, Mr. Sam. Um, what do you mean by amazing? I'm a, a mother. I have four children. I have these jobs. How is my life going to be amazing? What, what, what are you asking of me? Or she's saying the, the other people who are sitting and listening to you saying, God has these amazing things for you. And, and automatically we think of the people like, you know, Beth Moore, who is ministering to millions of ladies, or Billy Graham. And, you know, yes, those people are doing amazing things. But you see, it doesn't matter if you are talking to a million or if you're talking to one. You can be Christ to somebody. For me to live is to be like Jesus. You see, that, that woman who was at the well was the one person that Jesus talked to. It wasn't a million, it was just that one lady or the one who came and was brought before him caught in adultery. It was just one person he talked to who he set free that day. It was one person whose life he changed. It is one person that you can talk to, that you can have influence in, that you can bring to the knowledge of the Son of God. Me to live is Christ. And you can set someone free for all eternity. How powerful is that? It doesn't have to be a thousand people. It doesn't have to be a big event. It doesn't have to have millions of dollars backing it. It could be just bringing a cup of water to a child in need who sees Jesus in you and it changes their life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, that's not one of those promises you usually read in your promise booklets. You know, usually it's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I have all these verses in my mind. This is seldom the one that comes up when I'm going through a difficulty. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, I was kind of hoping for something more, you know. I want... <laughs> But you see, the truth of what that is, is more. To live and be like Christ to somebody. To be able to point them to Jesus. And that's what I mean by live like Christ, to be Christ to someone. You guys understand what I'm talking about, right? Okay, yeah, just, I mean, I'm just reading what he says. For me to live is Christ, okay? Just so someone will say, you know what Sam says, we're all Jesus. Um, <laughs> That's not what Sam says. Um, but Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And, and so he says, if I am going on living, verse 22, in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Conceived of the, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress. Again, remember, advance now for progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overthrow 
will overflow on account of me. And so he's saying, as long as I am living and my life is producing good for Christ, then it's worth living. And so if I'm living here and I'm producing something good, then it's good. It's worth living. It's worth moving forward. It's worth taking this and going on forward with it. Because the idea of progress is moving in the right direction. That I can help you move in this right direction. I love, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that says, we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress is turning around and walking back to the right road. I love that. Because sometimes progress means helping someone turn around. Or sometimes it means us turning around and getting back to the right road. And if I can be helpful in the progress of someone else, then I'm doing service. I'm doing something that is good. As long as my life is moving forward in this way, then I'm doing something that is beneficial. And that's what matters. Why? Because there is something bigger going on. There is a different perspective that Paul is aware of that is taking place. He goes on in verse 27. He says, whatever happens, think about that. Whatever happens, throw that in, in your life, in your future. Whatever happens, what does that mean? It means whatever happens. Yeah. In the Greek, it means whatever happens. Okay, That's what it means. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of this bigger vision, this bigger life. Whatever happens. Whether you're thrown in prison, whether you lose your home, whether you lose your health, whatever happens, conduct yourself. And, and the idea here of conduct yourself, it has the idea of live a life that is true to where you are and to who you are. He goes on and he says, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And the idea of being frightened means not being, not shrinking back. It's again, being courageous, showing courage, not being frightened, being selfless in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. You don't see that in the promise books either. This is good news. Not only do you get to believe in him, but you get to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You see, Paul is bringing them to an understanding that whatever happens, they have a different citizenship. They belong to a different colony. You know, Philippi was a, a colony of Rome. And even though they were far away from the epicenter of Rome, they still had all the rights of the Roman citizen, even though they lived in this small city far away. 
And Paul is saying, even though you live in this world that is temporary, you have all the rights to that heavenly city, heaven itself. You still belong to a different place. That's why to die is gain. That's why I'm struggling to be here with you is good. But man, it's hard. I'm in prison. I don't like it. It'd be better for me to move on. Having that mentality. Why? Because that's where he's from. And what he's saying is our citizenship is in heaven. And so we need to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. He's telling us to remember who we are if we've committed our lives to him. Remember who you are. Have that perspective where you're looking above from God's point of view and not in the temporary things from this earth's point of view. That's how he could say, I reckon that the present sufferings of this time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in Romans 8. That's why he could say that all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. How can that be? Because that's our citizenship. That's our destiny. We will not be put to shame. We will not be disgraced. And if we live our lives in this manner, if we conduct ourselves in this way, if we recognize and take courage to move forward in this life, then whatever happens, we can conduct ourselves in a way that is true to the nature that God has given us to, to our citizenship, which is to be in heaven. Any questions or thoughts on, on these verses? Anything stand out to you? Or anything trouble you? Class? <laughs> I just got a text message, well, actually a little bit ago, saying we are literally aren't moving anymore and helicopters are coming by. I'm not sure we're going to get off this freeway in time for any of it. So Tony, it doesn't look like Tony's going to be here today. Oh, well. Well, let's pray. Father, I, I struggle so many times, Lord, having this perspective that Paul had, to see that my life really is about you, and that I don't need to be afraid, that I can be encouraged, Father, that I can take courage and, and move forward in the life that you've given us if I just keep that perspective. And Lord, I know I'm not alone. I, I know we all struggle with these things. I know that we are all laboring, Father, to keep mindful of, of you and, and things that really matter and not be so governed by little things that, that don't. And, and understanding what those are and how that works out, Lord, it's a daily process. But Lord, I, I pray that we would have this mindset that to live is Christ, to die is gain. God, we could change the world if we believe that. 
we could change the lives of those around who are, are desperate for hope, who think that life is just succeeding in business or getting this car or this house or husband or wife. Lord, you've made us to be so much more. And you have so much more for us and, and we settle for so, so little so easily, Lord. God, I pray that we would conduct ourselves in a way that honors you no matter what happens. No matter how difficult things are, no matter how good things are, whether we have a little, whether we have a lot, whether we enjoy health, or sick, whether we're betrayed by those close to us or even have betrayed people close to us. Lord, that we would not let circumstances change how we are supposed to act, that we would change and be who we are supposed to be, who you've made us to be. Help us to grasp hold of this, Lord. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.